mature audience history podcast, Dark Histories, True Crime, Salacious Stories by historians for your R-rated educational intellect. This is Grim. The name Rasputin stirs off images of an evil dark wizard, a gothic monk in black with powers of necromancy and the devil. More often, a motherfucker stabbed, shot, poisoned, and drowned who could not be killed. The wandering holy man captivated the last czars of Russia, led a sex cult of sorts. Women adored him. Most hated him. Journalists, assassins, and the secret police followed him everywhere he went. This is the comprehensive, like a motherfucker, multi-part story of the illiterate stinky peasant who defied every odd to become one of the most powerful, feared, revered, ultra-sexy, and hated figures in late Imperial Russia of the socio-political backdrop for World War I, the Russian Revolution, and the myths and truths and complexities of the period and of the man, Grigory Rasputin, and his enduring mark, on the Romanov dynasty, on Russia, and on history. Friends, lovers, my educated grim deviant motherfuckers, all up in here for some history. We are your humble historian servants, Joe Woji and Brittany Smith, joined today by Ted Sisko and Casey Coxon, the so-called evil genius of Rasputin. Today, Rasputin Part 2. GrimPhilly.com for everything that you need. Back episodes of Grim Live events with us in Philadelphia, where we record Every single day, the highest rated history tours with sick professor motherfuckers in the city for 10 years. The best dark histories, true crime podcast for mature audiences. We hope that you've heard with sick professor motherfuckers. We are your humble servants. Rasputin all up in this motherfucker today. So there's a lot of history and myth that surrounds this evil genius as he was dubbed by the western press in the united states and the uk the historical reality is it's badass really without even spicing it up but one of the most controversial and famous stories of rasputin originates from this march 1915 visit to yar restaurant in moscow where he takes a train from petrograd that's been really mythicized as evidence of rasputin's most debaucherous public self just off the hook and literally out of control <laughs> So people think of Rasputin and they think that there's this fucking monk that's just off the hook. He's got the ears of the czars, he's drinking, he's sexing, he's doing all kinds of crazy shit. And the Yar restaurant in 1915 was supposed to have been like the best example of him crazy off the hook where he's supposed to have jumped up on the table. Actually, the Yar restaurant's still around in Moscow today. It's got like a four-star rating, apparently. Oh, okay. Oh, well, you don't always trust the ratings on Yelp. <laughs> Go there for the atmosphere, not the food. <laughs> 
he hops in a train, he takes a trip like he does. He's followed by the secret police, the Okrana right. and biographers and historians for a long time have given this trip to Moscow in March of 1915 as one of the best examples of him being crazy off the hook, public drunkenness, grabbing the chorus girls, handing them fucking notes, whipping his dick out at the Yara restaurant and no ramifications from the czars. And as we were talking about in the first episode, there is a lot with Rasputin. Some things did happen and then other things have been dramatized over the years to become this mythology around him. And so what Joe's about to tell you is <laughs> another example of this, something that there is some truth in it. Like he, he probably did take this trip to this restaurant but oh, he what happened yeah he definitely yeah. did so like that's true but what happened there has been glamorized it's become something much much larger than it originally was and there's so, a lot of myth there's a lot of exactly rumor rasputin he's the most interesting and hated man in all of russia he's rah, this rah. <laughs> he's this guy who has risen up from the peasantry and he's resented by a lot of the upper class and this is in the world war one yeah, it's 1915, like 1915 you're in so he's being <laughs> scapegoated as having drip poison into the ear of the Tsarina. There's so many rumors going on about Rasputin at the time with the Tsarina. So she wasn't like super popular even before Rasputin. But during World War One, that takes on a life of its own because of course, Empress Alexandra or the Tsarina, she is originally a German princess. So clearly um, she's a spy for ex- well, Cousin that's, that's Exactly. She had already been unpopular <laughs> before and then during World War One, all the rumors that she's a German agent, that she's trying to destroy Russia from within that she's still working with the Kaiser and the German Empire against Russia. Of course, that gets linked in with Rasputin and now he's working with her as like these German agents and how they're having a whole affair and how everybody just accepts this. None of that is true. Everybody but, at the time but those really are the strong rumors. believed it. At the time, oh, yes. in 1915, people in Russia were convinced that Rasputin was the agent of Germans and yes. he was whispering in the ear of the Tsarina who was backseat driving the empire for her husband and she's German. He's peasant and there's a lot of resentment. In any case, we'll get into how that unfolds with his death in the next episode. So he does go to the R restaurant and biographers, like I said, for a long time had accepted this as truth. But in more recent times, the historian Douglas Smith really did about six years of research over for a new work that he just put out about Rasputin. So the most recent history. His area of expertise. And he also worked for the U.S. Department of State. And so he was a Russia analyst for Radio Free Europe. He's dug up the archives from the secret police in Moscow. And what he had <laughs> uncovered was that Rasputin goes to Moscow from Petrograd with St. Petersburg renamed Petrograd to a more Slavic sounding name for Slavic unity in World War One. Right. Anti-German. He definitely goes to the R restaurant and according to the Okrana police reports he goes to a friend's house afterwards he gets drunk the next night then he goes back to Petersburg no incident and the head of the Okrana of course fucking hates Rasputin so sends back to the Moscow police give me the real report is that when the story gets wild and out of control as if it's almost as if someone's like so this wasn't entertaining enough I need you to add more and they were like okay we're just gonna make stuff up now and it's almost like they were just like oh okay let's throw the craziest shit possible in there he jumped on the fucking table and whipped his dick out is this what you want to hear he jumped on the table and whipped his dick out and started (laughs) to talk about this arena by this I rule the empire this is where the empress worships and he was grabbing the chorus girls on top of that there's even more shit that I think that's not even really in the public imagination because waving the the penis around is probably enough to grab people's attention in the original reports too was that there were also shady characters there and 
he was attempting to defraud with these shady guys, Russia, the Russian empire, out of millions and millions of rubles, which is like, I don't know, $12.85 probably today. <laughs> like really, really <laughs> eager. <I got> you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I do the same thing. I would like want to like hold my book and be like, all right, <laughs> let me be up close and personal. I don't know if this is common knowledge, but I didn't know this. I didn't know that Nicholas had a tattoo and it was oh. a huge tattoo. Like it's like, well, huge for then. On his, I think it was his right arm. It was a big dragon tattoo that he got in Japan. Fucking Nicholas like, got a Japanese dragon tattoo. Right, right. He didn't even like Japanese. Japanese people. He called them muckucks. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> it was in 1891 when he went, and, and so he was in Japan. He got this big tattoo, and evidently, like right around the turn of the century, it was a big deal for nobility to get these tattoos. Like it, like yeah, it's, well, it hadn't tattoos. trickled so, down the to the lower classes. Is fascinating yet. because like it goes that could like, be this roller coaster of popularity, <laughs> right? If you look at pictures of him, he's got a huge dragon tattoo on his forearm. That is so interesting because his dad had sent him over on the Trans-Siberian Railroad to Japan, and one of the officers or a cop or something. Something, like whacked him upside the head with the back of a sword and knocked him the fuck out. He's yeah. bleeding all over. And he mm-hmm. ever since then, he, he fucking hated Japanese people because one knocked <laughs> him the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. It took like, I think it said like seven or seven and a half hours to complete the whole thing. Oh, God. Fucking it, he's it's big. That's some modern ass shit. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Loving that shit. That's intense. Not liking that he's calling them racial slurs after no. he gets a tattoo, but <laughs> no. liking the tattoo. Such a long time. Yeah, I was. um Fucking hundred year old racial slur. <laughs> I was watching a video and I saw like an actor portrayal and I saw the tattoo and I was like, that's got to be a mistake. Like that's got like that. That's an actor's right. tattoo. And then I looked up pictures like, no, no, he legit had a tattoo. Do you have a photo of oh, him? I sure do. I because I was looking it all up yesterday. Colorized photos. And but. in our audience, everybody out there. Oh, yeah. Check this out. <laughs> you can all see right this. i was gonna say google it tattoo. it's a look it is he's, he's a, right it's a he's look. like he has his sleeves rolled up and everything he wants up to very show purposely show off this dragon tattoo right exactly oh, and that the man mustache with the dragon tattoo man. right mustache, the mustache. <laughs> all i'm saying in is solidarity that, with listen, nikki Nikki Ted had. and I have grown long <laughs> handlebar mustaches he for today's look. episode. He did. He really did. Lots of mustache wax. Burt Reynolds style. I mean, that is a full mustache. <laughs> it really is. And oh, the dragon tattoo that Zara f- Nicholas II had. Yeah. This Where the fuck was Peter with his beard taxes? All these fucking beards, too. <laughs> tackling motherfuckers, beard taxes, tackling them and cutting their fucking beards off. Rasputin would not have had a beard if Peter was around. <laughs> that was when he was trying to, wasn't he trying to like... Westernize. Westernize. <laughs> <laughs> yup, that's exactly what I was. Which is what Nicholas should have done instead of attacking Japan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was not a good idea. Right, so let's start at the beginning. Nicholas II, he's not ready for the throne. The motherfucker cries when he gets the throne, apparently. His daddy and granddaddy got blown the fuck up with bombs. Anarchists run around, motherfuckers in a seances. These are the times that they live. Anarchists kill his dad, his grandfather, William McKinley, Teddy Roosevelt. They try to fucking kill him too. And Nicholas takes over. What was he like? 28? 26? He should have been schooled a little bit, you would think. He's not ready, he says. Marries Alexander right away. So Alexander, by the way, so a lot of these royals are related to one another in Germany, in Russia, in 
the UK. Well, his wife is the granddaughter of Queen Victoria, who's completely the fuck against the marriage because she's like, Russia is not stable. She was right. William yeah. and Nikki, an like, as they knew each other. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're all grandsons. Childhood. The tree goes pretty much straight. are cousins. <laughs> yeah. Willie had a crush on Alexandra. As a matter of fact, too, Nikki gets her. They're completely in love. She's pious, devoted, and unlike usual, usually people in charge, they fucking cheat on their wives left and right. He's a family man. We're going to talk about him as a ruler. He's completely fucking soft, inept, but he was a devoted family man. He was devoted to his children, to his wife. He was a good family man, was what he was. He would have been great as, like, in middle management someplace in Walmart. <laughs> right. In khakis somewhere. <laughs> but he marries Alexandra right away. Exactly. Right. <laughs> he marries Alexandra right away. Gets his father's blessing as he's dying. By the way, a little sidebar. This is where Cristal, the bottles of Cristal, the reason why Louis Rotterer had made them clear and see-through when the little sidebar here. Enemies of wine, beer, and champagne are light and heat. So that's why all the bottles are always colored. Most Motherfuckers were trying to blow them up with bombs in their champagne. So the czars were like, motherfuckers are trying to blow us up with bombs in our champagne. Can you please make one that we can see through the fucking bottle? So Crystal comes out. It was made for the czars of Russia. So they wouldn't get blown the fuck up. Back to Nikki. <laughs> nice transition. He started out his reign. He wanted to do something nice for everybody. He said, you know what? I'm going to buy everybody a beer. Did you guys read this? No. <laughs> no. Some obscure fucking shit. Motherfucker wanted to buy. I was going to say. <laughs> wanted to buy everybody a beer. Everybody in Russia, because I'm getting married, I'm buy everybody a beer and a little piece and a little, like, like a little gift bag. Like he had gingerbread, little shit. But like a half a million people showed up to get a beer and like everybody got a mug and got oh, it filled I with did beer. Read that. No, you continue. I'm afraid. I feel like you're going on. A, you are on a good pace. You're on a roll. <laughs> I'm on a tangent about alcohol in well, Russia. <laughs> imperial fucking well, it just turns imperial into chaos, stout. Because everyone's trying to get the presents. And and you know what? It would have been great to call it evil genius too, right? <laughs> imperial stout. It was not. I don't know what kind of beer it was. But so like all these peasants trample each other trying mm -hmm. to get a beer. Fifteen hundred people yeah. died Literally trying to a get a beer people. over a fucking beer. Must have been some good shit though. Right. Fifteen hundred people. <laughs> well, they're over. peasants. Anything? Yeah, they didn't have anything. Yeah. They were like, please, that's I'd a better, beer. Like, yeah, I, I could have a loaf of bread, but I can't afford it, so <laughs> I'll take a beer. It's liquid bread. Right. Yeah. Right. Same exactly. Fifteen hundred people died trying to get a beer. So that's how his reign starts. <laughs> At his wedding day. He's off to a good... But he gets this, like, <clears throat> reputation from there of being, like, bringing blood from his wedding day. So early in his, like, czarship or whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but, like, very early on, he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, I already have a very bad reputation of just bringing death. <laughs> good intention. Oh, yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. But, you know. Just completely misjudged. The road the, to hell like, is paved with good intention. <laughs> exactly. So to put things in perspective for the big picture, you've got all of these nations in Europe. Some of them are climbing ahead in technology. Some of them are falling behind in technology. At the same time, you've got these older multi-ethnic empires like the Russian Empire, like the Ottoman Empire, like the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The Russians are falling behind. The Ottomans are falling behind even more than they are. But the Russians, using that to their advantage, are attacking the Ottomans and have this perceived strength based on the size of their army. It's the largest army in Europe. Up until this point, people have used their technology to guide the financial futures of the non-Western world, the non-European world. And so Nikki, as we're going to call him, 
Sometimes. <laughs> he is, Nicholas. by the way, he is his wife, Alexandra, Kaiser Wilhelm, and King... King George, King George. is what you said. All of them are first cousins. Like, oh, first cousins. Oh, yeah. wow. Ah. We're all first cousins. <laughs> There's Germans everywhere. Yeah. On the th- like, right. <laughs> just, throughout Europe. Just to be clear, like, it on wasn't every, just How about him. Franz Joseph? Was he cousins? Nicholas, his wife, Alexandra, Wilhelm II, were all first cousins of King George V of the United Kingdom. He was also a first cousin of the king and queen of Norway, as well as the king of Denmark and of Greece. But Nicholas and Wilhelm II of Germany were in turn second cousins once removed on like another oh, side. Yeah. <laughs> like the incest, there's so much incest going on right now. Well, it's not that's, good. We're jumping, well, we're jumping way ahead, but yeah. like that's why they were able to find, like validate their bodies later. Yeah. Because like, the DNA, you know, Well, not DNA, yeah, but the yeah, Duke of Edinburgh. Yeah, because they didn't have DNA testing at the time when they originally like, the blood, yeah. right, like, but like they were able to test because there's still so much of their blood in the world now. Who was it? Charles? Duke of Edinburgh, just, whoever that is. Whoever yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, they, that was like what it was in like the late '90s that they so Prince they Charles. validated. I think Prince Charles, where they were able, they used his DNA. They asked for his DNA so they could validate huh. that, like the bone. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah. There's so basically uh, to summarize, there is a lot of incest going yeah. along with the royal courts of Europe at this time, which obviously I think we just proved by even just casually listing off some of the names <laughs> of people who are all Indian because that is that he obviously married his first cousin and he was also first cousin to the king the kings in both Germany and England and which is why we call them the Willy Nicky telegrams that you might have heard before too because those are a series of telegrams if you are a historian yes. yeah there are a series of <laughs> telegrams between Kaiser Wilhelm II and Tsar Nicholas II Willy Nicky which is just funny uh, <laughs> sounds funny Willy's funny but and also, she was sunny in their letters she signed her letters sunny there you go but also listeners don't do incest bad, yeah. bad. <laughs> don't do that how just many episodes has that been said also like do not lot, grow a lot. handlebar mustache no <laughs> right and solid Solidarity with Alexandra, though. Ted and I will be taking opium for the duration of the <laughs> empire. We'll be nodding out. And oh, dragon okay. tattoos incurred. Yeah, that's, that's what we'll fine. do afterwards. So right. we'll get a dragon, dragon tattoo high on opium. <laughs> Giant mustache that looks as epic as his is also fine, but no right. incest. Correct. Yes. Not fine. Yeah, no. Burt Reynolds mustache. Also illegal. No, no. <laughs> I draw the line at mustaches and dragon tattoos. Incest, no, that's a little bit too far for me. Yeah, epic mustache is fine. Dragon (laughs) tattoos, cool. With the monkucks. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to tell you to do drugs, and that's not the message. (laughs) (laughs) Notice she said not to do drugs. She just said we're not going to tell you to do drugs. Right, right. So who are we to judge? judge. (laughs) We just take a strong line on the incest. Yeah. (laughs) 1861, Alexander II, this would be Nikki's grandfather, freed the serfs in an attempt to get people to work a little bit more diligently in the factories there like they had been in the rest of the Western world, people west of them, where they worked a lot harder because they had to work for money, not per hour, but per task. And so they had to work really kind of quickly and the capitalists were happy, (laughs) unlike in Russia, where the state owned the factories and people had to buy off their serfdom which took them 20 years so nothing in their lives really changed so their work habits did not change either meanwhile back to the russo-japanese war the emperor meiji and the reformation there had 
taken a different turn and nobody had expected this because these are like non-European people. So it fucking shocked the entire world. These are the days before things are tightened up. You can't even do this shit now. It had a free market back then more so than today for like military technologies. They hired people from Armstrong, the best shipbuilders in the world from England, people from Krupp, the best armaments manufacturers and fucking making howitzers and shit from Germany and built their own artillery, telegraph lines, railroads, communication and transportation systems for war so that they could throw out the Western imperialists, the United States included in that. We had actually opened them up by sending gunships to the port of Nagasaki and making them sign this so-called Treaty of Friendship. With guns. (laughs) Yes. But they were ultra successful at driving the Westerners out by copying the military technologies and capitalist practices of people who had vanquished them. Jump forward to Nicholas having a bad time of it. Politically speaking, Europe had gone the path of parliamentary government, which Nicholas had resisted by and large, being pressured by anarchists trying to assassinate people. And this had been happening since, like, let's say the American Civil War sort of era, at least in the cities there. People in the countryside, not necessarily so opened early on to revolutionary activity at first. They were really suspicious of the revolutionaries as like city slickers, but you're trying to get me arrested and that kind of thing. But in Japan, once the government actually built those factories, they turned them over to privatization, which makes them truly capitalist. When you're worried about your own paycheck, you'll stay up at night to try to figure out the best efficiency for whatever it is that you're doing. But if you work for the government, you might just go home and fuck my day is done. I'm going to sleep. So it's ultra successful over in Japan, whereas in Russia, it's not. Nicholas, with domestic strife, turns the Russian people's attention to a foreign war. So the Russo-Japanese war ensues. He tries to have that be a rallying point, which it is. And reverence for the czars, it's actually really seen with him sending troops off to fight. He expands into Manchuria, which interferes with Japanese ambitions. They surprise attack him at Port Arthur, starting a war with him, beat the living fuck out of him, which is completely unexpected to anybody in the West, the Russians, anybody else. They sink all of their fleet that's there. It drives inflation up in Russia. But the people, when they are sent to go fight out that way, are literally kissing his boots. He's blessing the troops because he's sovereign that is he's in charge because of God. This is a belief that these monarchs believe, that they rule by divine right. He's God's representative on earth. He goes off and blesses the troops. They literally fucking cry, kiss his boots when he rides by it. In a train that doesn't even stop, people will gather at the platforms and fucking wave and throw flowers. He's really revered. But when he sends people off to this war that goes extremely bad and it drives up inflation and it creates unemployment, they're not happy and they're not trying trying to necessarily rebel, but with the church at their back, people in Petersburg with church icons singing God bless the czar, God save the czar, march on the Winter Palace to present him with a petition, please stop the war. (laughs) Please give us some parliamentary say. We're your children. See our suffering. They don't have weapons. They don't have food. Nicholas's wife, 
fearful of this, talks him into leaving the Winter Palace and going and hiding like in another house, just like in another house someplace else. The Imperial Guards at the Winter Palace shoot those singing motherfuckers. This is known as Bloody Sunday. And it breaks all conceptions of the czar is a good guy and doesn't understand our suffering. No, maybe he does understand our suffering. And maybe we need to have somebody actually elected who gives a fuck and runs the empire a little bit more diligent. Bloody Sunday is the break. Really? This is in 1905. January 22nd or January 9th by the Russian calendar is when the priest leads these groups who also included workers because there had been industrial strike within the cities. And it's when they march to the Winter Palace and also in their demands, speech, press, assembly, religion, representative, constitutional government, the legalization of labor union, free public education, things like that. But yes, ultimately, they get shot down. So you have men, women and children that were murdered in these streets. And so obviously that's a big deal. That Mm. looks, no matter how you want to, whatever else, that at least looks awful. And so you do have continuing upheaval that results with that thing and so it it does become known as bloody sunday 1905 so you have that that event that happens and as a result he promises to do a couple things nicholas to settle everybody back down because like you said it kind of like opens up pandora's box like it's kind of like oh like so like to settle everybody back down and kind of to get real calm again he issues what's known as the october manifesto of 1905 which nicholas promises to set up an imperial duma which is similar to different western parliaments but of course it's supposed to be just for consultative institutions. They're not going to have power, but they it has can no these. teeth, yeah. but it's got the perception. Right. Mm-hmm. So he does this and he writes this whole manifesto and he's promising these different things, uh, for example, to establish an unbreakable rule that no law shall go into force without its confirmation by the state Duma and that the persons elected by the people shall have the opportunity for actual participation in supervising the legality of the acts of authorities appointed by us. <sighs> and so he goes on to call on all the true sons of Russia to remember their duties toward their country, to assist in combating these unheard of disturbances and to join us with all their might in reestablishing quiet and peace in the country. What happens, though, is that all these promises that Nicholas makes in this document are poorly fulfilled, put it nicely. Like, they just, he doesn't follow through. He Um, does it reluctantly. And this is also, I mean, even aside, this is a missed opportunity that he could have gone out and showed that he connected with the regular people. I see your pain. I, I feel you. The whole consensus of the peasantry, of the working class was that if the czar only knew he doesn't understand our suffering it's these other people see it but he's unaware of it it's this idea that is broken from bloody sunday yeah and so the october Man- manifesto really <clears throat> just becomes another illustration of the czar not caring or at least acting in bad faith he fiddles with the electoral system enough times too until he kind of gets it so that enough conservative people will pack the duma and it still doesn't have teeth he yeah, still so, suspends it when right because it it's not him. yeah he still has all the power this is also part of that kind of backdrop to what rasputin is coming into so i mean you already have a russia that was already already having a lot of internal strife going on. And this is before you actually even get to World War One, which in a lot of ways is just going to kind of escalate all these issues much further in what leads up to, as most of you have already known, which is what's leading up to the Russian Revolution. Revolution. And this is where Rasputin walks in. 1905 is the year that he enters, so he would have seen these imperial parades. And when Rasputin gets on the scene, he goes forth with an introductory letter from another monastery to a bishop in Petersburg as about as uncorrupt 
as he would be. It's been speculated by historians in more recent days that maybe it was Petersburg that actually did corrupt Rasputin a bit because up until this point, he hadn't actually drank his I guess university of sorts had been the road. You know, he had been one of these mystics who had just walked barefoot and fettered from monastery to monastery for enlightenment. But he met people along the way, a lot of people, and so got to know the character of people, just how people act and think, what motivates them. People from bandits through bishops, knowing that the upper classes in Petersburg were fascinated by these kind of peasant mystics, he does get an introduction pretty quickly to the Tsar and the Tsarina, who are quite taken aback by him. As inept as Nicholas may have been, he did have a few good people in the government at the time, at least in 1905. One of them was Stoy Lipin. Historians believe that he could have been the guy, really, to kind of save the empire. Once Rasputin, and I know we talked a little bit about this in the very first episode, so no need to revisit it, but he started to get the ear of the Tsarina to the Tsar to a lesser extent, but through the Tsarina, he gets the ear of the Tsar. And Stoy Lipin was fucking horrified by this peasant who has the ear of the Tsar and the Tsarina. And tries to drive him the fuck out of town regardless of what the Tsar and the Tsarina think. Happens to be assassinated at the Kiev Opera in 1911. Very Lincoln-esque. <laughs> <laughs> Although this very much so came far before. Operas. <laughs> can't be trusted there I mean, after. after but no i mean that said that backwards don't go just, to an opera yeah. <laughs> right if right. somebody might exactly. want to assassinate you <laughs> as i was reading this i was like ah this is familiar after the death of stoy Lipin, rasputin's power grows and he really doesn't have an agenda necessarily other than he wants power he doesn't want titles. He doesn't want money. People bribe him to try to get an audience with the czar or the czarina. And he takes their money, but it leaves his hands just as quickly as he gets it. He gives money freely to people with sob stories and people in need. He doesn't seem to have any interest other than staying in power and then having a better and a better time. And we talked a lot about the good times that he had, but it gets more. He becomes a functional alcoholic. And some of the original church people like Iliador, the monk Iliador, turn on on him. Iliador had been one of those monks early on who he even traveled with for a while. And there's all of these fucking right-wing monks. They're like completely right-wing militant. He's one of these other mystics, but he's a mystic with like also women followers like Rasputin will have even more of, but he has all of these followers. They fucking beat people and they support the imperial crown and the dynasty. But Iliador tries to drive Rasputin out because he sees him getting drunk and misbehaving at some of the bathhouses. In turn, Rasputin has him defrocked and one of his followers, Olga Luktina, who had actually stayed at Rasputin's house for a while in Siberia in Prokolskoye tries to assassinate him. She tries to kill Rasputin. Yes. Is this the the woman who stabs him in the stomach? Or is this later? With the 15-inch blade, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that would be in 1914. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right after she did it, she claimed forward. she killed the Antichrist. Because they really did think <laughs> he, that he that he would die. She stabbed well, she stabbed him, him in the stomach right. in 1914. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like that's a Rip, fair assessment. Like, literally ripped his intestines. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They sewed yeah, him with not, knotted silk that they would have had to go clear. back in and take yeah. it out again. Too. That he was going to survive that. Yeah. <laughs> 
friends, lovers, my cult of the macabre, educated, sick, grim, beautiful, motherfuckers. Parting is such sweet sorrow. If I could take you home, tuck you under my covers with some hot cocoa and flannel sheets, a little fire crackling, brothers and sisters grim, bedtime stories, all warm and snug sugar plum motherfuckers, all nestled in our bed with some Delta 9 gummies and vape. Brittany and I and Ted, we're going to take you home with us for a sleepover and Toll House chocolate chip cookie dough. The celebrity historian Brittany Smith will be signing articles of educational fuckery from JSTOR as we listen to heartwarming and smooth sermons from the minister of Satan himself, Thaddeus Ted Cisco, with educational fuckeries in our hearts and Patreon exclusive benefits in our minds. Patreon.com backslash Grim Philly. Just visit Patreon.com backslash Grim Philly. That's Patreon.com backslash Grim Philly. Till next time, friend. Keep it beautiful and keep it grim. Oh,